Romans chapter 4. Amen. And I may not even refer back to this scripture, but I want to read it anyways. This is speaking and reiterating what God spoke to Abram, who would become Abraham, the father of many sons and many nations. And God says, it's spoken, it's reiterated in verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee, I have made thee, I have made thee a father of many nations. He didn't say, I'm going to make you. He said, I've already done it. You don't have any sons yet? It's okay, I've already taken care of it. I've already made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now, if you did that, you would be a liar. But God is not a man who can lie. And so he calleth those things that are not as though they already were. Who, now, verse 18 is the response of Abraham. You ready? Who against hope, he believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. Now, if you're going to have an excuse to give God why you can't do what he's called you to do, don't you think that a good excuse, a justifiable excuse would be, God, my body is dead. But he didn't even give him that excuse. When he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. I have some Pentecostal people here today that know that God has promised some things, but do you know he's going to perform some things? So my simple word of faith, and I guess my title, is he promised it, he will perform it. He promised it, he will perform it. I think you need to say that with me right now. He promised it, he will perform it. Will somebody just say, in Jesus' name. You may be seated in Jesus' name. He promised it. He will perform it. Brother Elms referred to my personal testimony that I'm thankful for. And I know everybody should be thankful for their testimony. For we can't overcome without a testimony. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to share my testimony. And there's been times I've felt insecure and thought, man, I've shared this enough. And. I've realized if I want to keep overcoming, I got to keep sharing my testimony. Brother Morgan said, you just got to keep preaching it. There are a couple of things I do feel to share this morning, and I will be honest with you. There's a couple of things that I feel impressed of the Lord to say that are some details that I've never shared publicly, in fact. But I, for some reason, feel that they're relevant to share today I preach with a couple of pictures in my Bible I preach with a picture of my son Levi I gave them a picture I don't know if they have that I, I texted all my media stuff about five minutes ago and they got it there you go I got a picture of my son and that's my beautiful gorgeous wife I give honor to everybody here but I give double honor to my amazing gorgeous wife that I don't deserve. My wife is on a level of beast mode that I can't even smell. She's 20 weeks pregnant. That's an announcement to somebody here because we haven't, we haven't told very many people. But she's 20 weeks pregnant. She's got a three-year-old. And if you know anything about three-year-olds, um, there's no such thing as the terrible twos. It's the terrible threes. And she's preaching at a ladies conference today and tomorrow and she's taking care of the baby in the womb and the baby on her lap 
and I'm here by myself, you know, just enjoying a conference and getting drunk on the Holy Ghost. <laughs> so if, if you think I'm cool, you need to meet my wife. Amen. But I preach with a picture of my son because it reminds me of, of where I'm going. And, and I preach with a picture of my great-grandfather, Brother J.D. Watson, who's passed away now, who was the first uh, Pentecostal minister in our family who was six foot six. And I'm still praying for that blessing. In Jesus' name. I'm just a late bloomer, but I will bloom. <laughs> Amen. Some of you know maybe where I've come from. Maybe you've heard me share my testimony, but I know that none of you have heard some of the things I'm going to share. My grandfather, Homer Green, who passed away in 2011, was an amazing man of God. Did you know that I'm going to start off with a deep revelation. Did you know that people can just be people sometimes, including Pentecostal people? Did you know that even Pentecostal people can make mistakes and even saved people can deal with bitterness and selfish mindsets and different things like that? So that's sort of my preface for this story. But my grandfather, he pastored several different churches and before I was born, he moved to Austin, Texas, where I was born and raised. And he took a church there, a United Pentecostal church there. And, and uh, several years into his pastor, they were, he was pastoring an amazing Pentecostal apostolic church. They were running over three or 400 people in the late 70s, early 80s, and had an amazing church. My father, my grandfather, he allowed himself to become unprofessional with a lady in the church. And she took it and ran with it and began to accuse him of an adulterous affair. And uh, the church didn't know what to do. My grandfather was now under the pressure of a rumor that he had been in, a, in an adulterous affair. And so my grandfather had a meeting with the church board and the trustees and, and he told them, he said, this is exactly what happened. He said, there was a conversation I was unprofessional with. He said, but nothing beyond that, nothing physical, nothing else happened. He said, please forgive me. And they decided, they voted, they, the church board voted that they believed my grandfather. The lady in the church had had some other issues and had, had other accusations in her past. And so they said, you know, we're going to vote. And they voted unanimously. You're our pastor and we trust you and we're going to go forward with this thing, you know. And so they said, my grandfather said, well, we need to talk to the church and we need to allow our church to have a say in all this, you know. And so they had a business meeting for the church and I was two years old I was born into Pentecost and I preach with this picture of my great-grandfather because I want to know where I came from and the details that I'm sharing with you now I didn't know any of these things until just a few years ago all I knew is that I was born into Pentecost but I was not raised in Pentecost something happened it caused us to leave Pentecost. I would pray about it oftentimes, and I would ask God to, to help me. I would say, God, you got to tell me what happened so that I don't make the same mistakes. I had no idea what happened, what caused our family to leave the United Pentecostal Church. And until one day, I finally, I sat down with my dad, and I said, Dad, you've got to tell me what happened. Why did our family leave when my grandfather was pastoring such a great apostolic revival church? And he was in his prime, and the church was in its prime, and everything was going well. And what did we leave for? And he finally sat down, and he told me the story. And, and he told me about the rumors and the gossip and the things that had happened with my grandfather, his father. And... And longer story short, he told me that he had a pretty rough relationship with the district superintendent of that day. And 
they didn't see eye to eye on some things. And when they had the meeting at the church to vote whether or not they would entrust my grandfather to continue pastoring, a few men came into that meeting that day unannounced and uninvited from the district board and they took over that meeting and they walked up to the platform one of those men I've actually spoken to myself who I love dearly and he confirmed this story and he told me he said yeah he said I was there he said it happened he said we walked right up to the platform and and brother so-and-so I'll leave unnamed he said brother so-and-so took the meeting he took charge over the meeting and he told your grandfather he said you're done pastoring at this church and my grandfather began to plead his case and you know he said no there's already been a vote the board voted the church voted they want me to be the pastor but the district came in and they said no we are making a decision that you're not the pastor here anymore and and uh, we're going to vote in a new pastor and so they ended up having a meeting in a longer story short to skip some of the details my grandfather was very hurt and he was hurt by some men of God that he was submitted to he felt like he had been stabbed in the back he felt like he was been had been treated unfairly he felt like he had been mischaracterized and misjudged and when they told him we don't want you to pastor here anymore and they gave him an alternative and they said you can leave and you can take a six-month sabbatical and then we can help you find another church and he said no I'm not going to do that I don't need the organization I don't need you guys I don't need the district superintendent I don't need my elders I don't need this or uh, this this body I don't need any of this leadership I can go start my own church an independent church <clears throat> without you attacking me without us seeing eye to eye and without these disagreements and without all this stuff and I can go do it on my own now let me just say it like this whether or not my grandfather was innocent whether or not my grandfather was justified whether or not he was vindicated whether or not he was voted in unanimously it doesn't matter the moment my grandfather said I don't need you I can go do it by myself he was in the wrong my grandfather I don't believe that there's necessarily anything wrong with disagreement but I do believe there's something wrong with disagreement that is embedded with seeds of bitterness because bitterness is what will cause division and destruction amen so when my grandfather left the organization he left with bitterness in his heart that's why in Hebrews chapter 12 it speaks of pursuing peace and holiness with all men without which no one will see the Lord and in the same sentence it speaks of the root of bitterness that causes many to be defiled I believe that many people that leave church many people that leave the truth many people that leave the body of Christ they leave with a root of bitterness it can be traced back somewhere to a disagreement somewhere to a division a moment where this seed of bitterness was planted and this was what happened to my grandfather my grandfather left the United Pentecostal Church with a root of bitterness and so although my grandfather was a believer of holiness my grandfather was a believer of the oneness of God my grandfather was a believer of the infilling of the Holy Ghost bitterness caused him to compromise things that he never imagined in his life he would compromise because bitterness will allow you to justify decisions that you know are not right my grandfather who felt attacked he felt stabbed in the back he felt misjudged and unfairly treated now began his life down a new trajectory that led him away from God the saddest part of the story is that years later this bitterness began to manifest itself physically and he began having strokes deteriorating his mind <clears throat> eventually my grandfather not only left the United Pentecostal Church but my grandfather left uh, 
his wife when I was a teenager. I had been raised in his church. I was filled with the Holy Ghost in his church. I was baptized in Jesus' name in his church. But my grandfather left the church. He left the United Pentecostal Church. And then he left his wife, my grandfather, who was a United Pentecostal Church pastor. He was, he was on the Texas Bible College board. He was a graduate from Texas Bible College. And, and now here he is. He's not only left the organization, but he has left everything. He's left his wife. He's left his children. And he moved back to East Texas where he was raised, living by himself, dipping tobacco. And before long, the strokes had caused him to become so deteriorated in his mind that literally, and I didn't know this in lit, until just a few years ago, my grandmother shared this with me, that the strokes caused his mind to be so deteriorated that they had to put him into a mental institution where they had to put him behind two locked doors and he was to live out the rest of his days in this mental institution, dying alone on a deathbed. But God had a promise. And I believe that when the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of God shall stand forever. And when my grandfather was literally this close to the gates of hell, my grandfather shared this part of the story with me. <laughs> he told me that before he died, he said, the night I was dying, God walked into my room. He said, my own wife couldn't visit me, but God walked into my room and he stood by my bedside and said, Homer, if you die tonight, he said, this is where you will spend eternity. He said, I looked over to my left and I saw a vision of my soul in a lake of fire. He said, and the Lord spoke again and said, but this is your last opportunity. He said, I'm giving you one last chance for restoration. If you will repent, I will restore you. He said, I fell off the bed onto my face and I began to plead and cry with God, forgive me, forgive me. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. He said, and the Lord began to speak to me and say, I have restored you. He said, but now it's time to go back home and ask your family to forgive you. It wasn't but a couple of days later that he had improved so much that the mental institution released him. They let him go. God restored him spiritually and God restored him physically. He drove back home to Austin where he got on his knees before his wife and said, will you please forgive me? He repented to our family and he told us I was wrong. I led us down the wrong path. I remember being raised. See, I was raised in a church that was full of former Pentecostal people. Our church was the church down the street from the United Pentecostal churches that, hey, if you still want to speak in tongues, but you don't want holiness, go to this church. Hey, if you still want to even baptize in Jesus' name, but... You don't want to have a real relationship with God. Go to this church. Hey, if you don't want to live the lifestyle, if you don't want to be separate from the world, but you still want all the power and all the gifts, go to the, this church. And so our church began to grow from transfers from people who were leaving Pentecostal churches because they said, well, we don't want to live the lifestyle anymore, but we still want to, we still want to sing the old songs. <laughs> and we still want to clap our hands and we want to dance and we want to do some of those things and we want to act like we have that relationship with God while not having that relationship with God and we want to see the results that we still see what's interesting is that this COVID shutdown has brought to pass a new era of zoom chats FaceTime meetings and all of the above I remember preaching my very first online service back in March staring into my camera trying to preach and and all you can see is the reflection of you know me in the camera and you don't know how it's going and then afterwards my wife asks how did it go <laughs> I was like babe I preached down the house man everybody was in the altar people were running the aisles I mean there was like 12 tongues and interpretations and no I'm kidding but I, was like, I don't know I mean I, I have no idea I preached to my phone I sent it to him you know 
But recently, probably about six to eight weeks ago, I was contacted by one of the ministers of, of the church I was raised in, the charismatic church I was raised in. I was contacted by the worship leader and the youth pastor, the former worship leader and youth pastor of that church. And they contacted me and they said, hey, we are starting a Zoom chat meeting to t discuss the book of Revelation. And would you be interested in being a part of this Zoom chat? And I'm like, well, what do you want me? I have family a part of this. Uh, these are ministers who were once Pentecost and now they're at churches, most of which used to be Pentecostal churches. And if I said some of the names, a lot of you wouldn't know uh, the churches they attend or the churches they're ministers at. And they said, we, would you be a part of this? And I was like, well, uh, sure, I'll sit in on the Zoom chat, you know. And on the first Zoom chat, um, the, the worship, the former worship leader of the church I was raised in, <clears throat> she said, Chris, would you share with us the story of that lady uh, that one time you, you prayed for and she was healed out of the wheelchair, you know, several years ago? To share that story. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I shared the story, you know, this lady was paralyzed and God healed her, you know. And she said, okay, tell that story how when you were in Africa and 3,000 people got the Holy Ghost in one service. And, and, and I was like, okay, and I shared that story. She said, okay, now share the story about, you know, this and share the story about that. And, I, and I'm thinking, how does she know all this stuff, you know, first of all? And then why is she asking me to share these stories, you know? I didn't get on here. I just get on here to see what's going on. And so after that Zoom chat that day, I called her and I said, why did you put the spotlight on me? Why did you ask me to do that? She said, she said, I have a burden for all these people on this Zoom chat to realize that God is still moving like he used to. She said, I wanted you to remind them what God is capable of doing and that God is still doing it. So the next week we were on the Zoom chat and the third week we were on that Zoom chat, we were going to talk about the glory of God in the book of Revelation. And, and so we started to talk about the glory of God and I, I was actually packing to fly out. So I, I, I had my video off and my audio muted and I've got my headphones in and I'm trying to pack and get everything together. And I'm just listening to what they're saying. And then I stop because I start hearing them talking about what used to take place in their Pentecostal churches. They literally start going around the whole Zoom chat meeting and, and they're, they're saying, man, I remember when I was Pentecostal and we used to have all night prayer meetings. And I remember one of them said, I received the Holy Ghost on a midweek Bible study at one in the morning because the service had just broken loose and there was prayer all night long and I got the Holy Ghost at 1 a.m. when I was addicted to drugs and and another person said man I remember I remember brother so-and-so preaching hell so hot it was like you could feel the flames of hell you got to the altar as quick as you could and you you prayed until you got a hold of God and they said I remember going to church and I remember going to this and I remember this move of God and I remember this revival I remember this moment and then somebody said why don't we have that anymore? These are former United Pentecostal ministers I'm on a phone call with. And they're saying, why don't we have that anymore? These are ministers that have built their church on the, maybe you've heard of a program called ARC, and I'm not going to even talk about that. There's nothing, whatever. And they, they've built their churches on this ARC program that is designed to build churches and start churches very quickly and rapidly, you know, with a big congregation and lots of money and this and that, so it's easier for them. And, and these are ones who have used that program and gone to their conferences, and they're talking on the Zoom chat saying, uh, you know, we're thankful for what ARC has done, but what ARC has done is it's allowed us to start a church so easily bypassing the prayer and the fasting to dig out a work for God I was on the phone let me rabbit trail for a second I was on the phone with a missionary just a few weeks ago and he said I'm so thankful for global missions and I am he's a missionary he said I'm thankful for I am global the program that has sent missionaries back to the field so much quicker it's allowing us to bypass the two and three years of deputation he said the only problem is is it's causing us to bypass the necessity of prayer and fasting to dig out a work 
because now it's become easy we got all this money we, oh man we're going back to the field so fast and it's so easy now that we don't have to have the desperation and he said so now sometimes there's missionaries going back so fast that they didn't have to dig out that burden they didn't have to pray and fast and sacrifice and get there because it's the sacrifice that God honors and it's not just showing up and being there it's not just going to the location it's not just coming to church but it's the desire it's the burden it's the passion it's the sacrifice it's the willingness to say God I'll do whatever it takes if I've got to travel North America for three years to raise the money to live on nothing if I've got to go on a 40-day fast if I've got to pray all night if I've got to sacrifice everything I'll do it I'm literally standing in the parking lot of my father-in-law's church running back and forth trying to pack and get ready for my flight when I'm stuck listening to this Zoom chat hearing these Pentecostal former Pentecostal ministers saying where's the glory? Why haven't we seen that in the last decade? Why isn't God doing it anymore? And I'm crying I'm like biting my tongue you know and finally they said Chris what do you think about all this? How time much time y'all got? I said, let me tell y'all something. I said, I just finished three straight weeks of revival. I just in the middle of COVID. I just finished three straight weeks of revival. We had eight, nine, ten services a week. I said, we saw so many people filled with the Holy Ghost. I said, one church didn't even have a baptistry. We had to go down to the river and we baptized teenagers. We baptized elders. I told them. I told him, I said, just a few weeks ago, in the midst of all this COVID shutdown, I said, I, I went and preached at a church that's open and having service. And I said, there was an Indian family that came to church and they're literally from India. And the teenager girl got the Holy Ghost as a family of five. The teenager girl got the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. It was great. And, and I was leaving. I was heading out. And, and in the foyer, her brother yelled out to me and said, Brother Green, I got to talk to you I said yes what is it he said I got to tell you our story he said we're from India we just moved here to America a few months ago he said my father is Greek Orthodox my mom is Roman Catholic he said but I started having dreams a few weeks ago he said I was reluctant to share the dreams with my dad but one day I worked up the courage to share the dreams to my surprise my dad told me son I've been having the same same exact dreams. I said, what's the dream? I said, what's the dream? He said, I've been dreaming that I'm in this church building and all of a sudden this fire shows up. He said, and the crazy thing, listen, listen, listen. He didn't have Acts 2 vocabulary or Acts 1 vocabulary, but I could hear what he was saying. He said, there was this fire that showed up, but it didn't just stand still. He said, the fire was moving like this wind out of control. Like a rushing mighty wind like a wind out of control he said the craziest part about it is that nobody was scared of it they were reaching for it he said and when they reached for it the fire would fill them he said I told my dad he said I told my dad dad we've got to find this fire Now listen, I had a three hour drive to church that Sunday morning. And the whole time it was like I had tears in my eyes. I don't know what was going on. Trust me, call my wife. I'm not that spiritual. I gotta have at least four bowls of cinnamon toast crunch and two coffees before I feel anything. 
and I'm dry and I'm just crying. My wife's like, well, what's going on? I said, I'm feeling a burden for something. This is before I get to that church. And she said, what are you feeling? I said, I don't know why, but I'm feeling like I'm supposed to preach about the fire of the Holy Ghost. To this day, if I don't preach about the fire, my three-year-old son will let me know about it. He'll come up to me and say, Dad, why don't you preach about the fire? I got to that church and preached about the fire of the Holy Ghost. I preached about when Solomon had finished his praying and his sacrificing. And the scripture says that the fire came down from heaven and filled and filled the temple that was my sermon that indian man told me he said he said we've been looking for the fire for three weeks and couldn't find it until today he said when we came into this church uh, he said i was feeling things i've never felt before he said then you got in the pulpit uh, and started preaching about the fire he said i looked at my dad i'm starting to think man this might be the place he said when you finished preaching and you laid hands on my sister he said i watched her be filled with that fire listen he said i elbowed i elbowed my dad and i said dad we found the fire we found the fire we found the fire now remember everything i just told you i'm telling on this zoom chat that's full of former backslidden uh, Pentecostal preachers uh, and ministers uh, and when I look at all their faces they're just crying some of their heads are down on the desk in front of them uh, just speaking in tongues uh, one of them speaks up and says Chris will you pray that God will restore to us the glory I feel a prophetic wind just moved into this place. Somebody just lift up your hands right now and just pray in the Holy Ghost. There's just a wind of the prophetic that just sweeped into this house. I'm not going to keep preaching, but I'm going to tell you something. I've told it everywhere I can tell it. But the reason I'm not perfect, had a meeting with Marcus Baptiste telling him how dumb I feel I am sometimes. And I told him I'm the dumbest person with two degrees you're ever going to find. But the reason why I'm so passionate about this Pentecostal church, there's some things about it that I don't understand, Brother Elms. Brother Bernard was my first Pentecostal pastor, and I've called him within this year, said, man, there's times, Brother Bernard, I just want to leave because some things I just don't understand why we would fight against each other. I said, Brother Bernard, there's times that people fight against me, and I'm just trying to do the will of God. And there's people fighting against others, and they're just trying to do the will of God. I said, I don't understand it. I, I told Brother Bernard, I said, why is there so much division? I said, I should just leave this organization. And I told him the spirit that was on my grandfather got on me this year I told brother Bernard I said I want to leave this organization I haven't told that publicly but I feel too right now so I want to leave this organization because if I could leave I can still be apostolic and do my own thing by myself without all the criticism and division he said that's where you're wrong he said you cannot be used of God and avoid criticism he said 
So stop trying to leave and to run away and avoid criticism and learn how to deal with it. I wish you'd hear what the Lord is trying to say right now. There is a target that's on every apostolic man and woman's back. He is a thief that's come to kill, steal, and destroy. And when you walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, it just might lead you to a cross. But if God promised it, he's going to perform. Let me tell you, my grandfather came home and repented and was restored. And when I was 16 years old, I found Pentecost for the first time. The only part I'm going to share right now is the fact that when I walked into my first Pentecostal church service at Texas camp meeting at 16 years old, raised in a bitter, charismatic church, I came in with all my prejudice and my presuppositions and I couldn't even get to an empty pew without falling to my face because the power of God hit me so hard and at 16 I'm speaking to a young person right now at 16 I said God what is this that I'm feeling right now I've never felt this in my life and God speaks to me and says I used to show up like this at your church I used to show up like this at your church. He said, but you have become more conformed to the world than you have been to my word. And so you have pushed my presence out of the church. He said, however, <laughs> I'm standing at the door now. He said, listen, he said, I'm knocking on the door. And if anyone in your church would just hear my voice. I'll come back into your church. I'll, I'll restore my glory. I'll restore my power. I ran out of that tabernacle, called my dad, who is now the pastor of the charismatic church. Told him what God spoke to me, afraid of his response. He says, I'll have to call you back. Click. He says, Pamela, my mom is Pamela. Pack your bags right now. We're headed to Lufkin. He says, because our son has just found what our church has lost. My parents came. Now, you got to get this picture. I'm telling stuff in ways I haven't shared. My mom's got chopped hair, earrings, the whole nine yards. You know, my dad, he's got it too. Not the earrings, but he's got the bitterness and the anger and the division from God. And, and y'all know, know UPC, right? Y'all know this? Back in 1990, when... There was a, an adulterous affair, a rumor of my grandfather caused us to leave the UPC. We were on the front page tabloids of the UPC magazine. Everybody in the district knew about it, right? And I thanked God for the humility it took for my parents I've thanked God for the humility it took for them to walk in where they assume everybody must hate us. Everybody. They gossiped about us. They talked about us. In fact, some of them stabbed us in the back. But they walked right down to that altar and prayed until God restored them. And today, my, my parents are Pentecostal pastors of a church. And 
You know? <laughs> God has a promise for this church. I did a whole study, man. I was up late studying. I'm not even getting to any of it, but I'm going to tell you this. They wanted me to talk about restoration. In just a little bit of a study, I found restoration. You know what it means? There's three little definitions. Number one, it says to bring back to life that which has been dead. Number two, it means to repair what's been broken back to its original condition. I don't know if you heard that. I said to repair what's been broken back to its original condition. Watch this. As if it never happened. There's a lot of people that operate in the anointing you've got now. In the faith you've got now. But your faith and your anointing is jaded because of the condition you've come into from your past your past mistakes and failures and the things that have happened to you. And yes, you have been stabbed in the back and you have been overlooked and you have been mistreated. So is Jesus. And now we allow our past to dictate what we feel and we allow what we feel to dictate what we do. And Jesus says, I'm trying to take you back to a place before you were ever hurt. So you can operate in the... So you can operate in the anointing of purity. I said in the, I don't even know, in the anointing of purity. As if it never happened. Thirdly, restoration means to give back what's been stolen to its original owner. See, the reason why there must be restoration before revival is... In Joel chapter 2, it was prophesied, they will rend their hearts and not their garments and turn to me with weeping, with fasting, with mourning. That's repentance. And in verse 25, he says, behold, he says, afterward, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That's revival. But in between, he says, I will restore to you the years. Brother Morgan, the time. I'm going to restore to you the time you lost, the time you missed. He said, before I pour out my spirit in revival, he said, I'm going to restore to you the time you lost, the time you missed. See, Jesus went to the cross. It was a type of repentance, a death. But before there was resurrection power, there had to be a restoration of the keys. He had to go get back what had been stolen from humanity. He said, give me the keys of death, of hell, and the grave. In between repentance and resurrection, there was a restoration. You may be operating at a level of ministry right now, but God says, no, 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 no. I want to restore you back to that place of purity in me I want to restore you I want to bring back to life that which has been dead I want to give back to you what the thief has stolen from you because I've got a revival that's coming I've got a resurrection power that's coming I've got a harvest that's coming I've got an outpouring of my spirit that's coming and if you're gonna be positioned for the outpouring of my glory you gotta let me restore you first I want you to lift your hands up all over this sanctuary for just a moment This is not a repentance service. This is a restoration service. This is not a repentance service. Uh, you've already turned to him. 
Now what you need to do is say, God, before you revive me, I want you to restore me. If I bypass the work of restoration, I'm not gonna see everything you've got for me to see. I've got to be restored. I've got to be repaired back to my original condition. I've got to be reawakened. I've got to be brought back to life in my faith, in my prayer, in my anointing, in my calling. I've got to be restored. This is how we're gonna pray. I'm gonna give some instruction real quick. In Luke chapter six, Jesus restores a man's withered hand. Remember? (laughs) The Bible says that the critics were looking to accuse him. Watch this. They said whether he will heal somebody. The word in the Greek to heal is therapeuo, which means to relieve. He said, if he relieves anybody, if he eases anybody's pain today, we're going to accuse him. But the scripture said, but he knew their thoughts. And he said, hmm, they don't want me healing today. All right, I'll go a little bit further. He doesn't heal anybody that day. He looks at the man with the withered hand. He had an audience to impress, but he said, I got to help somebody's need today. He looked at the man with the withered hand and said, stand up in front of everyone and come forward. Come stand in front of everyone. They want to know. If it's good on the Sabbath day, watch this, to save life or to destroy it. In the kingdom of God, there's only two options. Watch this. In his mind, he was saying, if I ignore the need, I destroy the life. The scripture in Luke says it was his right hand, his place of power. The word withered, you know what withered means in the Greek? I looked that up so I could impress you. It means dry. And it says, in reference of the members of a body, it says, having lost their natural strength, they have shrunken and they have wasted away, withered. Huh. Dry, shrunken, wasted. Anybody feel like you've wasted your ministry? You said, you said, man, I, I got a fresh touch this week, and I feel like I, I'm going I'm to do something now, but not what I could have done if I wouldn't have made that mistake. I'm going to do something now, but, but it's going to be compromised now because of what I've done in the past. I've wasted my calling, my anointing, my ministry. I feel the Holy Ghost. I've dried up. I've dried up in my prayer life. I've dried up here. I've, uh, So Jesus says, come stand in front of everyone because there's only two options. I can either save or destroy and I'm not in the destruction business. He says to the man, four words, stretch forth. Not your faith, not even your calling, but the thing that's withered of him. He was telling him to do something that he couldn't do. It was withered. How can I stretch it out? He said, he preached it until it happened. (laughs) He said, stretch forth your hand. I think the greatest four words of the whole story is this, and he did so. And he did so. And scripture says, and his hand was restored whole as the other watch he said I'm not going to relieve you how often have I come to church and been relieved I felt relief and I go home still with the symptoms and still with the withered and still with the crippled oh there's no pain there anymore 
Yeah, yeah, there's no pain there anymore because he forgave me of my iniquity and he fixed this situation. I'm, I feel the relief. He said, I don't want to just relieve you. I want to restore you back to its I want to restore the power I want to restore the glory I want to restore the purpose I want to restore the calling back to its original condition as if you never failed as if you never so this is what we're going to do I want everybody's hands down right now I want you to close your eyes. I ask you right now, what is your withered hand? For my grandfather, it was the fact that a man of God stabbed him in the back. Yet on his deathbed, he told me the night before he died, he said, Chris, you will be stabbed in the back. He said, but don't compromise your walk with God. He said, always keep the faith. He died the very next morning after giving Bible studies in hospice, baptizing people in their bathtubs because restoration precedes revival. What is your withered hand right now? It's not a repentance movement. We've already repented. Repentance brought the relief, but reaching is going to be, bring the restoration. I said reaching is going to bring the restoration. I'm going to reach out the thing I don't want anybody to know about. My weakness, my insecurities, uh, my doubts, my unbeliefs. Uh, I'm going to reach out uh, those things. Uh, I'm going to reach out the thing that's withered up in me. Uh, I'm going to reach out the thing that's dried up in me. Uh, I'm going to reach it. What is it? I'm giving you a space of time to figure out what is it, what is it in your mind, what is it, what, what, what is it in your heart that's withered. I'm just going to pray the prayer of faith. And when I just say in the name of Jesus, when you stretch forth your hands, you are stretching forth everything that has been withered in your life. You're going to stretch forth everything that's dried up in your life. You're going to stretch forth everything and say, God, I'm not even repenting now. I'm giving it to you that you can restore it back to life, back to life. Bring it back. Bring it back. I want it back. I want my preach back. I want my anointing back. I want my purpose back. I want my calling back. I want it back. Here it comes in the name of Jesus. Stretch it forth. Stretch it forth. Stretch it out. stretch it out don't hide it don't hide it come on pull it out of the closet pull it off of your phone pull it out of your heart pull it out of your soul pull it out of your innermost being God I don't want to be relieved I want to be restored in your glory restored in your anointing restored in my purpose Ah, Shatarabasa. I want the glory. I want the trembling. I want the shaking. I want the reverence. I want the fear of God. I want the outpouring of your spirit. I want the demonstration. I want to know you. I want to know you in the power and in the fellowship. I want it all. Come on, stretch it forth right now. Stretch it forth right now. 
Shito Rabayelo Robo Soto Rabba. The making of an apostle is in this room right now. The making of an apostolic man and woman is happening. I don't mean to insult your walk with God, but I mean to release the prophetic that I feel in this place. There is a development of the apostleship of God in this place. The making of an apostle is happening right now. The making of apostolic men and women is happening right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Apostolic restoration. Apostolic anointing. Apostolic faith. Apostolic sacrifice. Yay! For the next two minutes, what I want you to do is I want you to take that hand that's been restored and I want you to find somebody. And when you lay that hand upon a brother or sister, what you're going to do is you're going to speak prophetic words of faith into their life. Did you know that the scripture says exhort your brother daily while it's called today? Exhort each other daily while it's called today. And then it links the exhortation of one another to the rebellion of Israel in the wilderness. I'm going to say that one more time. It links the exhortation of the body with the rebellion of the Israelites in the wilderness. When those 12 spies came back speaking an evil report, if they had had more people like we have in our church today that would have gone to each other and say hey i know there's problems i know there's giants i know there's covid 19 i know there's sin and i know there's addiction and i know there's problems that are bigger than we are but listen to my word of exhortation you are a chosen child of god That's why Paul said, exhort one another daily, lest you rebel like the Israelites in the wilderness. You have no idea who you can restore today just by going to somebody and say, my friend, you are chosen of God. You are a vessel of the Holy Ghost. You have an anointing upon your life. You have a power that's greater in you than he that's in the world. You have no idea the person next to you that's needing a restoration, a restoration, a move of restoration I want you to lay your hand upon somebody right now and restore a brother restore a sister with the prophetic word of faith let's sing you are chosen you are called you are anointed He's promised that he will perform. Hashanah, Rabbah, Kodorabah. 
Somebody here that missed your time. God said, I'm restoring the time you lost. I'm restoring the years that have been taken from you. Come on. Somebody operate in the prophetic right now. Somebody operate with authority and boldness. I just want you and nothing else and nothing else nothing else will do I just want